Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, coming soon for teleworkers, a home office in a box. GSA wants to develop telework offerings for people to make it easier to work from home. It'll be interesting to see what actually comes in that box uh, when they put it together. Money for fiscal 22 means pressure across your agency's C-suite. We have now basically six months to finish the fiscal year. That's gonna put a lot of pressure, not only on the CFOs, but also on the acquisition community in getting all of those procurements out the door and awarded. And the protest problem behind Polaris and other contract vehicles. We've just gotten kind of mushy, mushy law. You know, they say, oh, you can't do that, but they're not coming out and clearly saying, this is what you must do. It's Friday, April 1st, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Digital government is one of four strategic goals in the new five-year strategic plan from the General Services Administration. Dave Nitschpeer is writing about it at fedscoop.com. Dave, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. What is the essence of the four pillars in this five-year plan from GSA? Welcome. Yeah, uh, you'll find that IT is kind of woven throughout uh, the four pillars, but uh, the digital uh, government pillar is by far the most IT heavy, where you're seeing uh, a big emphasis on everything from improving customer experience to improving uh, shared technology solutions and expanding how they're used across agencies. What I see here is a continuation of what Robin Carnahan has talked about since she's become administrator of GSA. You know, she's renowned for saying, just make the damn websites work. And uh, she writes at the beginning of this, and you quote her in your piece at fedscoop.com, about that need to use digital technology to restore trust in government. What are some of the ways that GSA is writing in this plan that they expect to do that, Dave? Um, Well, it's interesting you mentioned websites because that's a big component of this. Obviously, uh, Carnahan kind of spearheaded this whole uh, move to make USA.gov the digital front door for government and benefits and every single kind of program you can imagine. But they're actually going to be developing a roadmap as part of this five-year strategy for the redesign of USA.gov. And it's supposed to be able to make the navigation of government benefits, services, and programs better by consolidating websites and information on uh, a plethora of websites that are kind of spread out that need to be brought in like benefits.gov and grants.gov by putting that information all in one place it should make it easier for users to access that information and that's one of the aspects of this uh there's many others though Uh, i mentioned shared technology solutions tts uh the technology transformation services uh, are going to be a big component of this and, and just make sure making sure that Agencies are using these solutions that they're putting out, everything from cloud solutions that are already authorized through the FedRAMP program to also increasing adoption of login.gov. There is no shortage of stuff in this plan. Um, What you just alluded to, spearheading TTS will be the creation of a market development and partnerships capability. GSA plans to increase reuse of authorized cloud products by expanding FedRAMP, um, increasing agency adoption of login.gov. Uh, The Office of Government-Wide Policy and TTS will employ a Venture Studio-esque model within uh, TTS to scale reimagined innovations government-wide. There's just a ton of stuff going on here that's intended not just for GSA, but for every single agency, right? 
Yeah, uh, that last bit is really interesting to me. That's something I'm definitely going to be keeping my ear to the ground on uh, this idea of a venture studio-esque model. Uh, it, it sounds like they're going to be taking innovations that TTS has already created and, and rethinking them and making them more repeatable for agencies to use more easily. A lot of other things, though, are in the works. They also were a little bit mum on the six. Uh, communities of practice that OGP is supposed to be working with to really push some key milestones and quantitative performance out of in the next five years. You like the studio-esque model. My favorite item is home office in a box coming out of GSA's <laughs> Workplace 2030, just because I think the name is cool, Dave. Oh, yeah. I uh, I saw that as well. Honestly, it, it conjures some very funny images uh, of just somebody opening a box and having everything they need right there. But that's kind of the idea is, is that using data insights from the Workplace 2030 project, GSA wants to develop telework offerings for people to make it easier to work from home. It'll be interesting to see what actually comes in that box uh, when they put it together. All right. A lot here and uh, not time to cover it all, but I appreciate you coming on. It's a great story you have up at fedscoop.com. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. You'll find lots of other news at fedscoop.com too. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference, May 19th. It's happening at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. President Biden's budget request includes big increases for technology and cybersecurity, but that budget request came out Monday, just a couple of weeks after agencies got appropriations for this fiscal year. Dave Mader is Civilian Sector Strategy Officer at Deloitte. He's former controller at the Office of Management and Budget. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I imagine there's a lot of build up and build up and build up in the agencies and then the request drops. What happens after that, Dave? Welcome. Sure. Well, thank you for uh, for the opportunity, Francis. Well, now now all the fun starts. Basically, um, you know, the both the director of OMB and other OMB officials will be you know briefing the, the both House and Senate uh, this week, and then the agencies now are going to start interacting with their respective appropriators and explaining you know the content of the president's budget. And I and I think you know as much as we would have liked the the current fiscal year budget to pass sooner. I think the fact that we now have the, the omnibus bill at the same time we have the 23 proposal, I actually think that's advantageous because now agencies can look at what do I want to accomplish for the balance of this year, for the next six months? How does that fit with the president's request for next year? And I think that allows organizations to take a much more broader view of, you know, what are things that I do today that I actually want to carry through to the next fiscal year. Is there potentially a problem there, though, that carrying something through to the next fiscal year might involve kind of slowing down or or continuing something that you have to do this fiscal year starting October 1st, because we will likely be in another continuing resolution situation as we've been for a number of years? Well, well you know, clearly the appropriators, you know, are going to spend the, the spring and summer uh, digesting and asking questions, but but I do you know in all the years that I've been involved in these processes, I do think there's a lot of consistency from year to year. Yes, there have been some exceptions where we've seen you know agent agency budgets change either up or down dramatically based on you know particular circumstances. But I think by and large, especially that agencies are working not only on the 
the current fiscal year budget, but they're also working on the infrastructure bill as well as some of the rescue plan funding. So to me, that gives agencies, I think, the perspective of saying, what do I need to accomplish over the next several years? Because a lot of the money in particularly the infrastructure bill is multi-year money. So, you know, ramping up to do that and then looking at the 23 proposal said, I'm going to continue with this initiative for a number of years. Given that this is a request and Congress will work its will or won't work over the next several months, um, what should an agency do now to set itself up for success when the appropriations do come, Dave? You know, I think one of the biggest challenges that agencies have been facing um, over the last several years is is the lack of capacity. They just have not been hiring. Um, They had responsibility for CARES. They had responsibility for the rescue plan, the infrastructure bill. Now on the BIS, and I think the president's budget for 23 clearly signals rebuilding the federal workforce as a priority. And many of the agencies have the funding in the current omnibus bill to begin that hiring and OPM, you know, has clearly signaled that they are willing to work with agencies to help them achieve the rebuilding of their workforce. IRS is a good example um, of where, you know, they need a substantial increase and OPM has given them direct hire authority. So the partnership between OPM and the agencies around the whole human capital is going to be critical over the next several years. Mm -hmm. And given where we are as far as bringing people in and when they're able to serve between the time you post and when you time the the employee's first day, it strikes me that that window is a little wider than people would like it to be. And so getting a, a leg up on that, having those people in place when the money comes in would be pretty advantageous. Yeah, I mean, clearly OPM is looking at a lot of the processes, things that they can improve. The direct hire authority for IRS is a good example, but other areas that they're focusing on, how do they how do they work with agencies to improve that process, that merit process, which is critical to our, you know, our entire civil services. Uh, you and others have educated me over the years that uh, when one budget request comes out, it's not too long till work starts on the next one. What's that timeline look like, Dave? So now, you know, now agencies are working on the current year for the next six months. They'll be, you know, explaining the appropriators what's going to happen according to the president's budget for the next fiscal year. You know, and come this, come September, October. The process is going to start for the president's FY24 budget as well. So I I think sometimes people don't appreciate that at any given time. And this is the perfect time. Agencies are basically dealing with current year, the immediate year, and then starting to think about 24. So there's a lot of effort on the part of agencies in making sure that they have the resources in place to continue to work on the, you know, current year, proposed year, future year. Uh, a couple of the reporters here at FedScoop have noted that there were spaces where normally there would be current year budget data included in the request that wasn't there because of the truncated schedule that we talked about. What's the impact that that truncation has on thinking about, for example, in the case of today, fiscal 24, now that we have fiscal 23 requests? Does that does that pinch anything or is that not really that important? No, you know, in fairness, in fairness, because the, you know, because the current year was so delayed with the omnibus bill, you know, OMB had to get the budget, the president's budget out. And the only baseline number they could use was 21. 
But now that we have omnibus, you can easily add another column to show 22, and then you can see how 23 compares to 22, 21, which you know becomes then the basis for in in the fall starting to think about the 24 budget as well. More broadly, what roles can CFOs across the agencies play for their partners in the C-suites that maybe they have not until now or have not done to their full potential now, especially during this time when we're looking at what the White House wants and and thinking and, and trying to project what Congress will let the agencies have? I think there's a couple of things that CFOs can do in the current year, clearly, especially because it's now truncated um, because of the, of the delay, you know, working closely with the program offices, ensuring that, you know, we have now basically six months to finish the fiscal year. That's going to put a lot of pressure, not only on the CFOs, but also on the acquisition community in getting all of those procurements out the door and awarded. So working closely to monitor, you know, am I spending the funding at a rate that I need to, to achieve what, you know, the omnibus bill has required me to do. And at the same time, starting to think about what are the what are the outcomes of the funding that we've already received and being able to use that to explain to the appropriators the FY23 budget as well. Dave Mader, great insight as always. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Francis. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. CyberScoop's Zero Trust Summit features public and private sector leaders talking about solutions for federal agencies that are implementing zero trust technology and strategy. The Zero Trust Summit's happening this coming Wednesday, April 6th at the Conrad in Washington, D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. One protest is in already on the new Polaris solicitation from the General Services Administration. BD Squared's protest alleges the solicitation may violate Small Business Administration regulations. Stephanie Mitchell is co-owner at BD Squared. She's former program manager at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Stephanie, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I kind of lucked out. Sometimes things just work out. I saw a post that you put on LinkedIn, I think it was Tuesday, saying that there were challenges to this for small businesses like yours. I learned after I invited you to join us today that you filed this protest. What is it about the Polaris solicitation that's not working for companies like yours? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, Polaris um, has been off to a little bit of a rough start. Um, you know, we have some about a week before they dropped the actual RFP, they came out with some Q&A indicating to industry that they were removing the restriction on how much past performance the large business could bring when in a, a um, SBA approved mentor protege relationship. We've always seen some sort of limitation where the large can bring some portion and the small has to bring a portion. And that's really what the SBA regulations um, state as well, that the both have to bring something to the table. So I think it kind of gave a little bit of, uh, you know, industry kind of threw up all over all over that. So I was actually pretty surprised to see the RFP actually drop on Friday. What is the solution potentially? What are you asking for in the complaint that you submitted to the GAO, Stephanie? 
Yeah, so the SBA regulation says that each individual company in the Meta Protege has to be evaluated. The protege has to bring something other than their size status, you know, and so we're asking for past performance to be required from the protege. I uh, the post that uh, attracted my attention originally that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you just wrote this as folks have had the weekend to digest the Polaris RFP, the grumblings grow louder through the small business community. And then you linked our story. Uh, headline GSA issue solicitation for $15 billion Polaris procurement. Is this the only issue that small businesses are seeing with this contract or are there other issues that you and your colleagues in the small business community are talking about? There's one other big issue, and that's that GSA released an incomplete RFP. Um, This is the first time I've ever seen this in history where they indicate the rest of the RFP was going to come April 5th or later. Um, it kind of goes back to the fact that I was really surprised by the timing of it. As you know, at you know today is April 1st at 8 p.m. tonight, Sam is going down for four days. Um, and, you know, that's if no hiccups. It might be, you know, it might take an extra day or something. And so the submission system is heavily linked through the Sam registration of your entity and the UBI. And so I really didn't anticipate seeing it until we knew Sam was back up. You know, as of eight o'clock tonight, GSA has no way to communicate with industry. So they did release the the missing piece, which was the project verification form, which is really the heart of this RFP. You're really kind of at a standpoint, standstill, just working some administrative documents that you know don't take a lot of time. But that big piece, you know, they did release on the 30th in the evening, they did release a draft of it. And on our side, we spent, you know, the day hustling to work those only to realize a couple hours in that it was missing a big piece. And so they're going to have to put out a revised form. So we had to basically just do a stop work and wait for a new revised form. And, you know, if we don't get that by eight o'clock tonight, we won't see it until the fifth or later. And that means you miss out on the work potentially. Yeah. I mean, that's 11 days of the RFP cycle of sitting around on our hands, which is really unfortunate. I want to pull back on this because I I talked, I mentioned to you before we we started recording, I talked to Mike Wooten, the former OFPP administrator yesterday and uh, on the program, and he had some advice for not just GSA, but all of the contracting organizations across government as far as dealing with some of these big vehicles, um, there are others that are challenged across government right now. What works, what would help, I guess, from a small business perspective to keep some of these on track to, I mean, you've talked about some of the specific things with Polaris, but more broadly, what would help keep these vehicles out of trouble from the vendor perspective, Stephanie? Yeah, the the mentor protege has become, you know, it's almost like you're guaranteed to protest on that one. You know, we had a CAGRA partners on Oasis. We had the Computer World Services over on COS before. We're dealing with the same exact issue word for word. And, you know, one thing we just haven't really seen is really good, solid case law. And so when we filed our protest, we tried to be very clear about exactly what we were requiring, hoping we can get some clear guidance that'll help us not only in Polaris, but you know we have services Mac coming up in the future. There's task order considerations. You know we've seen cases in GAO at task orders on the same exact topic, 
and really getting some clear clarification either through GAO case law or SBA, I think would be helpful for everyone because we've just gotten kind of mushy, mushy law. You know, they say, oh, you can't do that, but they're not coming out and clearly saying this is what you must do. And it, would that pretty much then, do you think, make this issue go away? If you had that definitive, uh, that definitive guidance, that definitive case law, does that do the trick? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at a mentor-protege relationship, the protege can do 40% of the work, the mentor can do 60% of the work. I mean, my my first choice would be to see some guidance that says, okay, the requirements have to come 60-40, you know, whether it's a scorecard, whether it's past performance at a task order level, that you've got to evaluate them, you know, at that ratio would be my first choice. All right. Um, what's your course of action here? What happens if you if GAO comes back and, and denies the protest? Well, I mean, that would definitely be right in, you know, in the face of what I think is clear regulation, um, as well as SBA's put out discussion points on how that regulation is supposed to be interpreted. And so I think that would, you know, we'd have to really go back to the drawing board around that regulation, which probably needs a little, a little work. And, you know, in itself, mm-hmm. um, the the sustainment of this protest would mean what then what's what would have to ha- I mean, it strikes me the most logical thing to happen in that case is for GSA essentially to maybe not go back to the drawing board, but have to really rethink the way that they've written this. Yeah, I mean, the draft RSP did have a 60 40 split on the requirements. So everyone in industry for the past, you know, since December of 20 has been prepping with a 60-40 split. You know, the the large business, um, the small business has to bring two, the large business can bring up to three. You know, there's kind of two pieces to the regulation. One, that you have to have something from the protege, but also that you have to require something less of the protege than a regular small business. So a regular small business bidding has to bring a minimum of three past performances to to the game in order to play in this RFP. So requiring two to come from the protege would, I think, put it in compliance with both pieces of that regulation. It's less than a regular small business, but you're still evaluating the protege. Stephanie Mitchell, thank you very much for helping me understand this. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, no problem. You can read more about the Polaris protest in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back Monday. Have a great weekend. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.